Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is abundance teacher and money coach, Jody Lynn Craven. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. So, Jody Lynn, I have to ask you, did you bring your warm-up outfit today? Because we're going to be talking about exercise and being fit and mentally fit, physically fit, and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, I just wonder if you're ready. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's oh, okay. under a giant sweater. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. It is. I like that. I am okay. ready. I've got the layers on because it's, you know, cold. Well, when you live in Alberta, yeah, the layers are important. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like a couple of days ago, we were minus 57, 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Man. Minus 57, 58 is cold. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You don't so, spend a lot of time out in that weather. No. Unless you're crazy. Well, there, there are some people who do that. Let's be perfectly blunt. You know, yeah. there are some, but the, the smart ones, they stay in where it's nice and toasty. They wear their layered outfits with their sweaters and so forth. So That's well right. done. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I got it underneath. I'm ready. There you go. I'm ready All for right. anything, guys. Sounds great. So anyway, our guest is David Aquendo. He is the CEO of MaxFit KC. Uh, but he's not just into the physical fitness. He's also into the mental fitness in the sense of, of you know, the kinds of things we talk about here on the show, the energy, the synergy, the, 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 the ways we, uh, set our mindset, all that kind of thing. And so we figured we'll just, we'll just have a conversation about, and we, you know, we'll also probably talk about fitness too, but you know, we'll, we'll just have a talk, a conversation about that today. So David, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Yeah, uh, doing wonderful, man. Doing wonderful. Sounds great. So, uh, let's get a little background first. Let's talk about how you got to, uh, be running this fitness. Uh, outfit there in KC and, you know, what kind of led to that. And then let's transition over to what we were going to talk about, which is yeah. energy and synergy and mindset and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I started off with actually two different degrees before I ended up in this. I had electronic engineering. Some things happened. Um, miscommunications between some advisors and what I was supposed to do. Okay. Shifted to computer information system, systems. Got to the end of that, realized I hated just sitting behind a desk programming. <laughs> I was personal training at the time, loved it, loved the interaction with people, and just stuck with that. Got my exercise science degree, continued to build and, and just learn my knowledge, moved around, got to test out, I say test out, a bunch of places to see what I liked and didn't like about you know the facilities. And so when it came to opening mine up, I was able to portray like what I thought I wanted to happen by, you know, what I didn't see what I like in other places. And now it's going on a little over seven years and it's been a massive learning experience doing actually the business part of things. Mm. But yeah, now I'm here and I've been able to develop, uh, I would say a better connection with what really works, which is you could have all the tools in the world you want for science behind health, but the mindset's not there. It's very hard to make the transition to it. Very true. Yeah. And by the way, I have to give you uh, some credit and applause because many, many uh, people in college or just coming out of college or whatever, they're going for the money and computer science. I mean, let's be honest. That's where the money is. You didn't go for the money. You went for the love. That's why I want to give you credit because that's not the usual choice that gets made. So congratulations on that. Yeah, that was a, uh... I've always had a little bit of rebellious in me, like all through school. <laughs> My parents definitely had a challenge, a handful. And, um, you know, part of what I think it's like we talked about is, you know, there's some parts of us inside that really draws towards things. And I tend to allow that to drive me. So if I feel like I want to go do something, I'm more than likely going to go do it rather than look around and see what everybody else is doing and hope that I'm following what they're doing. So you weren't really paying much attention to following the crowd at all. That was not part of the calculus for you. No, uh, I've, I've, I'm not going to say I've always, you know, not followed the crowd, but I tend to be the one that's more on the outlier of certain ideologies or certain beliefs and where we have to go in life. Does the crowd follow you? Uh, the ones that are more looking for, I would say, excitement and like authenticism. Those are the ones that tend to like step out of the zone and hear it. Uh, people that don't aren't ready to be uncomfortable, you know, as you know, gets really uncomfortable stepping out of that zone. 
uh, and you know, don't want to knock them. They're, uh, they're probably not where they need to be yet to want to do it. And that's great. But yeah, I'd say there's a lot of people that are ready for it. They just haven't had the message probably pop up in front of them yet that like resonates with them. They're ready for it, but they haven't had the message pop up. Is that really possible in today's 21st century technology, technological world to not have the message pop up? Um, it could be the way the message portrayed, you know, how oh, okay. to receive it, right? Like when I had my transition of understanding mentality and like emotion. So I, my idea now is, is physically fit, mentally fit and emotionally fit. When we're able to connect those, we're really able to have a really happy and enjoyable, healthy life. Um, but had you talked to me seven years ago or you would have had a different person in front of you. Just did, I wasn't in the place to hear the message at that time. So no matter what the message was, it was going to fall in deaf ears. Okay. So I, I got to put the pressure on and ask you, so what message would you have heard? What kind of person would be sitting in front of us today? Okay. So the person was set up front of you was someone who just doesn't care. Like <laughs> in a sense of, um, a mental grind attitude. Like, I don't care who you are. You should be able to do this. It's your choice not to. Like, just get to work. Team that no excuses. What was that? Team no excuses. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hardcore. I didn't care who you were. There was no excuse for where you're at. Like, it's all your fault. This doesn't and, sound at all um, familiar, Dusty Jody Lynn. I'm just kind of asking. Never. Mm-hmm. No, never heard that one. No. Wouldn't say that I was, you know, a very similar person seven years ago also. <laughs> Yes. It's easy to get into. Um, I think anybody that opens a business will have some of that in the back of their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to step out of once you're like fully ingrained to that and you've built your entire life around being that person. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Your background, you know, my background shifted me into that. Um, I ran into a couple of people that had, the idea of opening a business, it kind of shifted my idea of what I thought success was. And then you get pinpointed on that and your brain's like, go for it. No excuses. And you kind of have, like for me, I lost compassion for other people for sure. I didn't, I wasn't coaching wise. I was not a great coach because of that. I was just like, why are we not doing this? You, it's simple. Do this A, do this B and do this C. You're just not doing it. You're lazy. You, you know, you're, you're not putting enough mental grind in this thing. There's always a reason why. But in reality, you know, we're very, very complex people. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of things going on that dictate how we act, why we do things. And so luckily I was able to get out of that mode, have some people walk into my life that helped me start seeing myself differently, which led me to go, Oh, we're all in a, in a, in some kind of thing that's, or immensely that's probably keeping us from making the right decisions. If I'm doing it, then I need to have passion for the compassion for other people so I can see where they're coming from and actually help them make the change and not just, you know, be a coach and, and yell at them like a football player coach, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the, the Vince Lombardi style really wasn't what you were aiming for anymore. No, no. no. <laughs> when, when we're training, yeah, you know, a little bit more like actual, the physical part where it is a little bit more challenging. But when it comes to coaching and changing behaviors, definitely, I'm, I'm, I've shifted so much. Would you say that it? You said it was some people walking into your life and and acknowledging that within you. What was it something that they said or the compassion that they had, or was there like some sort of moment where you caught it or how did that? So I wasn't happy with where I was at and like I was struggling with the business in a sense of like, I wanted to speed up the process. And uh, I remember reading this book called psycho cybernetics which is all about visualizations and like really feeling it inside and and picturing it, which led me down a whole different path of like, well, what does that mean? You know, what happens in our head, what happens in our hearts to going into like seeing everybody and talking about psychedelics to talking to other coaches that are mentally emotional coaches and just starting to search as much as I could to find connections about what has changed or how does change happen in the head and the heart. Which led me to go, well, what am I doing? Because I guess awareness, where does my belief system come from? 
where does this, where am I missing out on making that connection for me to take the actions I need to, to make the business better? Because in reality, my gung ho is great, but if it's pointed the wrong direction, it leads me nowhere. So that happened. Um, I had a person in my life. She went down the path earlier before me. I started to see her change and be a little more successful. And at first change was success for the business. Then I got into it and was like, oh, well, this is success for everything in my life. My relationships, friendships, my ability to be happy. Mm-hmm. you know, became better, um, everything, not just, not just the business. And so that was an interesting turn of events for me to see, you know, someone else go through it and then go, well, this works. Wow. Okay. Let's try this on me. <laughs> That's pretty cool that, um, it was a fairly, from what you're describing, I'm taking it on face value here. It, it sounds like it was a fairly easy transition for you. I mean, speaking for myself, I, I went through, you know, mountains and valleys trying to get there and you got there. Oh, well, yeah, I see what's going on with her. I'll I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) maybe a little bit shortened of the story. (laughs) My childhood was was pretty, uh, pretty rough. So I had that like tough heart until I got to this, you know, time where I was talking. So that was actually like, it was, there was a lot of, roughness that happened before that. So I was ready for a change. I just didn't know like what it was. Mm-hmm. And then when I began the change, I knew what I wanted. So my gung ho skills, all right, we're going all in. But the change has really happened over the last five years and really big started happening over the last three, like massive changes over the last three. The beginning changes happened like for the first three or four. Um, so it was a slow change for sure. Everything I, every time I did something to work on myself, it was like a year implemented before it actually mm-hmm. stuck. Yeah. So definitely a long process, but the gung ho in me was like, yeah, we're going to do this. We go all in. Find coaches, find any program you can and really push yourself. Don't, don't you just love Jody Lynn, how he says that it took him three years and that was a long time? Yeah. <laughs> in the five years. Relative to 100, like let's say yeah, right. very short period of time. But that topic has come up a lot for us over the last couple of weeks. It has. For me, of yeah. like, you think that it was, you know, it's going to take forever. And then you like look back on what happened and how much happened in the time span. And you're like, holy crap, that's a lot to happen to go through whatever in this short period of time. Like it was so, so such a small window. Yes. And that is, you know, when you're looking on day one, right? You see 365 days. Mm-hmm. When you look on day 55, you're like, that was fast. Yeah. And so for me, a lot has changed at the same time. It feels like yesterday, maybe even like two weeks ago that I started the process. But I can see people getting in the beginning of this and being like, I got through this program or I did this thing and now I should be all better. And in reality, it's there's the shift and there's the action after the shift that we have to really stick with before the changes happen. Mm-hmm. I always speak about water on rock, right? You see water dripping on rock the first couple months, nothing happens. It takes a couple of years before it starts to erode. For me, it's the same way with our old patterns. It just takes time to really start to see the changes that come from them. Yeah. We talked a lot about that uh, in the program yesterday that I did with my co-host Jody or, or Joel Elston. Um, we were talking about how, if you're trying to change a habit, mo- most programs to change a habit are like 30 day programs. But in terms of the way neurology works, in terms of the way your nervous system works, you have to get like 60, 90, 100 days in before it's actually nailed into the system, okay. which is probably why most 30-day programs don't really work out the way they expected them to. <laughs> yeah. Because even if they get to get something to happen in 30 days, it doesn't stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I like the idea that I'm going to lead to a habit formation. If I do it, to the point where I feel uncomfortable not doing it, that's when it's a habit. So mm-hmm. my goal is I pick a new habit up. I I have to do it for 100 days no matter what. Like it's a 100-day tally. 
If I don't see a change in 100 days, then I'm allowed to quit. But I always have to do it for 100 days. That's my tally mark. So if I'm walking wow. for 10 minutes a day, I'm meditating, I have to do it 100 times. And then at the end of 100 times, if nothing's changed, that's when I'm allowed to quit. Neuroscientists around the world are going, yay, hooray, hooray. <laughs> it's hard. Not seeing the same, not, I, and I get it, not seeing results and putting the effort in is a real big challenge. So that's why I like to have more of my goal is to do 100 times rather than see the change. Because I know if I do it long enough, the change will come. If I don't do it long enough, I won't see the change and I'll be frustrated. And I'll, I'll, in my mind, I'll think, well, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So you haven't given it enough time to work. <laughs> hey, Jody Lynn, uh, my, my screen as usual is doing like a little freeze. So I'm gonna let you do the next question while I do a reboot here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, there was, there was one question that was kind of like cropping up in my mind. Um, and I don't know if you felt this, you said you kind of had a tumultuous childhood and like you were tough. Um, did you find that there was any point through your like breaking open journey, if you will, that you were scared or resistant of that, letting that facade, that face, that, you know, that tough exterior, letting go of that. Was that hard? Yeah, it's still hard. It's still, uh, uh, you know, uh, a mechanism that pops up and I've got to like quiet down. Um, mm -hmm. I remember one of my coaches was very truthful with me. He says, you're never going to let this go away. It's just not going to happen. But we'll take the volume from 90% down to 15%. Mm -hmm. It's much more manageable to handle things at a 15 than at a 95. Yeah. So just realize that this part of you is it's there. It's, it's been hardwired for a long time. But doesn't mean that it has to run your life. And so when I was first like switching over and having these conversations with myself and other people and coaches, and one of the biggest things for me was I remember when I was probably like 13 or 14 and I was like, I'll never be unhappy again. I'm just not going to be unhappy. And so I avoided any emotion that was sad whatsoever because the child of things, things that happened made me sad. So it was like, as you know, sad goes to anger. So anger was my like step back into if something sad was going to happen or something that made me feel hurt was going to happen. So that part of me was one thing that was really hard to be vulnerable about. And I remember the first, the first like breakdown I had, I think I cried for an hour straight, which is weird because I didn't cry since I was like 13, 14. Wow. So, you know, I'm, it was, when was I was like 33, I'd say, and I'm 30, about to be 38 right now. So at 33, I had that moment and it just constant for a whole hour straight. And I was like, what is this? I don't know what this is. I haven't experienced this, you know, and, and it's really, I, I didn't actually want to even say that, that I was crying to people. I didn't want to, you know, explain to people what happened to me. Mm -hmm. But after that, I really started to pay attention to, you know, understanding, you know, what I was doing before then to keep all that at bay and just avoiding it. Mm -hmm. To going, okay, well, this is actually what living life is. Like understanding emotions, feeling them and working through them. And so after that vulnerability scare of, oh crap, I'm about to just be around people and tell people, you know, that I cried and I'm like a 33 yeah. year old man, what's happening? I'm a tough dude, whatever I wanted to tell myself. That was the initial scare. And now I don't, I, I, I shoot. I cried. I'm a, I'm a happy crier, actually. That's what I am. So yeah. we got married in, in September, and I was like, I think I'm going to cry at the altar. I don't <laughs> And sure enough, as soon as those vows came, I just started, I'm like, oh, I can't impose myself. You know, it was pretty bad, but weird. And so I think for me, that was a very scary moment to be vulnerable and to even be vulnerable in front of other people, which is way more scarier. But once I got over it, it's like, well, this is who I am. And one of the biggest things that I've wanted to do with myself, especially, is start living unapologetically as myself, yeah. avoiding that thing that kept me stuck, which was look a certain way, act a certain way, because it's how you should be, to this is who you really are. The, the people that, uh -oh. what was it? I, I had it, it was a sales coach. I think we just got a freeze. Got a freeze? No, I can Love. still hear you, David. 
Okay. Oh, there we go. Uh, a sales coach literally looked at me and goes, so right people will reject you. And that statement stuck with me. It's like, well, if I'm going to be me and I'm going to be this person and I'm going to be this whatever emotions I carry, then I need to have the right people in my life. And the only way to have the right people in my life is to be me and have the right ones reject me and the right ones love me. And yeah. so that helped me shift and get past that initial fear of being vulnerable and, and figuring out who I really was and, and showing up that way for people. Wow. Yeah, it's not an easy transition. <laughs> Go ahead, Walt. I was just going to say I pretty much the same thing I was going to add on, especially in light of where our society is at, because like you alluded to, David, males are still expected to, to hold it in. I mean, not as much as we were 50 years ago. Back then, it, you, it was insane, but we still expected to do that, you know. So when we break through and, and start allowing emotions to come through, oh, no, my, my God, he's you know showing weakness. Can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not easy to do. By the way, congratulations on your marriage. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. I love that. My husband yeah. cried too at the at our wedding. Wow. Yeah. He tried really hard not to, and he <laughs> looked at me the entire freaking time. So... <laughs> looked over my head. That was it. I was like, I'm right here. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. Photos when I like. I had a horse and carriage take me up to like the end of the aisle. And then my dad and my brother helped me out of the carriage. And when I looked up, there's a picture of him and you can tell his eyes are all red and they're starting to come down. He's like, the rest of it. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was one of those things. I, I, and I looked over my buddy's photographer, he's taking pictures and his wife is doing the video and I'm like, Oh crap, here it comes. And there's nothing I could do to stop it. It was just, it was there. It was exploding. And now, you know, I had to stop a couple of times when I'm doing the bows, compose myself, turn around and like not look at her and then come back and look at her. <laughs> Aww. Such a beautiful moment. I, I went through um, the agonies of divorce about a year ago after a 23 year marriage. And so I, I'm finding myself back in the singles world again mm. for the first time in, in a quarter century and dealing with the current state of that world includes dealing with this whole, the man should keep it all inside and, and you should never show it to the lady and, you know, should generally not show it to anybody out there because that's not masculine and all that kind of thing. And, and I'm interacting with other guys in the singles world too, all ages, you know, the whole age range. And it, it actually got to the point with me where I got so frustrated with how hard they were pushing that old, um, that, that basically a piece of BS is what it is, but that's what they were pushing and, and believing it. And, and they were advocating in terms of, you know, they're trying to meet women that they've, they've got to maintain their, their, their manually masculine approach in order to do it and so forth. And, I finally just start crying BS on them. I was like, wait a minute, stop. You guys, you keep going on that route. You're not going to find anybody. Trust me. Anybody you find, you're not going to turn into a full-time long-term relationship. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But man, that, that mystique, I, I would have thought it would have been more reduced by now than it is. It has reduced. There is no doubt in my mind that it is a lot less than it was a quarter century ago, but boy, it is really, really strong. So, I, I think I'm, I'm telling that story to kind of reinforce not only do I applaud you for that, but I think, I think you're kind of like the vanguard. Nate's part of that vanguard. There's the, the, the younger generation more and more are breaking through saying, you know, screw the old BS. Now, all that's doing is holding us back. Yeah. It's not getting us where we want to be. We might delude ourselves, but what's that? Yeah. It's not authentic. Definitely not authentic. Yeah, there's nothing authentic about it. It's an entire lie. Yeah, you're not the Tin Man. <laughs> well, even he had a heart. He just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's true. I think that the, the one of the biggest things for me was knowing what I should, you know, allow to come through and then being able to actually do it. So having those moments where my normal old patterns would be like, no, we don't do this. We're not going to be vulnerable to go in. Okay. What, what was one of those moments? I'm about to retract and redo what I've been doing. Mm 
this is going to get real uncomfortable. You've got to do this part so that it becomes more natural. Like the habits we talked about, like we have to do this over and over again. So it's natural, even though it feels clunky, it feels weird. It's just icky to do. If I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it later. And so the idea of even having a kid made me think about who I want to be for the kid. So how do I show up for myself? I have to show them how to show up for themselves. Uh, we're also expecting, I didn't say that part too. So congratulations to on that too. That, you know, that kid in a way that shows him how to live better. Yeah. So when they get to that age, they're able to experience life more joyful rather than be suppressed and like act a certain way. And so a little bit of a fire for me too is to go, okay, not only are you doing it for yourself now, which is awesome, you're going to do it so you can be a good role model. Yeah. At the same time, I think a lot of the generation now knows about it. They talk about it, but the actual action to have it happen is really still challenging. Do you think we're at a tipping point? I hope so. I really hope so. Um, the coolest thing is we have so much at our hands media wise to actually get really good information. Also at our hands is information that may not be the correct and may lead us down the opposite way. So you've got people that are really open to it and you got people that are beginning to be against it. Both of them have the same platforms to talk. And as you've seen, the more, I would say, the person that's more aggressive and putting media out can tend to rise up faster. And that oh, yeah. may not be the best, but I do believe there's more awareness, which is great because that leads to us searching. And when we start searching for things, we're going to be more open to finding things and that can help us change quite a bit. Yeah, that's an important point. The fact is that the, the, the loudest voices get the biggest amount of attention. And the, uh, like in the singles world, especially for the men's side, men's coaching and men's singles coaching and so forth, overwhelmingly they're in the old school approach, um, to the point where it, it's almost, I don't want to say comical. I started to say comical, but I don't really want to say comical because it's not funny, but boy, it's close. <laughs> it's close. I mean, these guys, they, they, it's just amazing to me how far they push it. And yet, and, and they quote each other. They, and they, they, they quote the, the leading voices. We talked about those loud voices, right? They quote the, the loudest voices and they say, well, this is what this loud voice says about this and that and this and this. And, and it's always about, you know, what's that masculine, keep it in kind of mentality. And yet none of them ever actually seem to look into what's going on in the real personal lives of the loud voices. They never yeah. actually look at that. Now, if they look there, they'd see, well, none of them have long-term relationships. None of them have been able to get to where they want to get to. They're just the loud voices. They're collecting a lot of money, giving away courses, you know, but mm. they don't actually seem to have the success in their personal lives. And in fact, the way the success is usually measured in turn is in terms of, well, you know, how quickly can I get a date? How quickly can I get that date in the bed? All that kind of stuff, rather than what's it going to take to actually create a long-term relationship with somebody, you know, so that's what they measure. And when they measure that, well, yeah, the guy's totally successful. <laughs> it, it's yeah. really, it, it, there, there's such a disconnect that goes on and I, I'm, I'm like amazed by it. I'm not, I don't, why am I amazed? I mean, this is like, this is the same thing I saw before, you know, I got married the first time, but I guess I'm amazed it's still there as strong as it is. I don't know. Sorry, we're a little off topic. I just, I just had to go into that. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It is true that, that idea of, you know, we're, we're playing a role instead of being our authentic selves is, is much easier to gravitate towards. And then you got the media where it's like anybody can show what they want on that media. Oh yeah. And once you get a, a oh, sorry, my camera went to unlock me. Don't worry about it. 99% <laughs> of our listeners are audio only. They'll never know. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they have this, this, a lot of them have a facade or a false, you know, presence and you don't really understand it until you actually, um, get around somebody who may have that presence mm -hmm. and you see that back and you're like, wait a second, that's not, you know, it doesn't look too good. Um, and some of them are, they're happy, but, uh, a lot of it tends to be that, you know, it's a showcase. How can we show our lives in a way that people will either influence us getting money or we just gain more popularity? 
How's this playing out in your health club? I mean, you, you run a fitness facility. Uh, that's something where people are mainly focused on just the physical side of, you know, being healthy. But I, I got to feel like these other aspects are also kicking into gear as part of your day-to-day business. Yeah. So we, I really started coaching people like the mental side of it. I went through a program that taught me how to do things and then um, utilized that, started implementing it and talking about it more. And I really basically tried shoving it down people's throats. I didn't do it the right way. I was mm-hmm. like, this is what you need to do. <laughs> and um, people would get it, but it just didn't, you know, it's like one of those things, are you ready to receive the message or not? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, and I'm shoving it down your throat, it's not going to be good. You're just going to be annoyed with it. So I backed off and I, I just preach about, uh, I should say preach. I talk about myself and what changes happened to me. And that's been a little more opening. But I do introduce the concepts when we do a sales console, we sit down with them, when we do their first onboarding, we talk about these things. So it's beginning to at least plant the seed. So when we're in the gym and we're having conversations where I bring up stuff or the other coaches bring up stuff, they start to at least plant that seed. And I'll see someone, you know, a year later come back and be like, I want to make this change. I'm like, great, because it'll be the best change you have in your life. Physical fitness is great. I utilize my health as a driving force to create the life I want. That's what I think of it as. If I'm healthy, vibrant, energetic, I have the stamina, I can do anything I want every day. If I don't have that, I'm limited by my ability and my energy. So my number one goal is how healthy can I be so that when I show up in this world, I'm able to show up the best of my ability. And if I don't have health, then I get limited by the amount of health that I have. So that concept's me. That's what I think about when I first wake up. So health is important. How do we get aligned with our health? We talk about this. It's what happens in your head. It's how you feel about it. I personally... Uh, And this is my opinion. I don't really like working out. It's tough. (laughs) You don't hear that every day from a fitness guru. That's not your typical thing. Physical activity. I'll go play pickleball. I like how I feel afterwards. I like what it does to my body. The actual pain during the time, I'm not in it. I I don't want to feel that pain. It's the results that have just kept me coming back. And so... When I think about the mental emotional part of it, I have a tie-in to what I feel like after I work out, after I've done it for a year, the changes that come with it. That's where I'm tied in because I have a really good alignment with where my values are and what I want to achieve in life. And that has to be in check for me to get there. So that drive initially started off with looks when I was younger. I didn't, I mean, I was, I was what you called skinny fat is what I looked at as. I had really small wrists and ankles. But my belly, and I had, I remember it actually to a T, my buddy in Wendy's, I know exactly what I was wearing, reached across the table when I was 19, 19 and a half, flipped my boob and goes, you got a man boob. <laughs> and immediately I was like, oh my gosh, I do. I never noticed this, but yeah. I do. And then I started paying attention to the, the, the clothes I stopped wearing because I didn't feel comfortable. So I'd buy clothes, put them in the back of the shelf and not wear them. I get home, I put them on, I'm like, I don't feel comfortable in this. So initially looks drove me, but then once I started to understand how much better I felt, the more energy, I'd see people around me just, you know, slugging along, barely to make it. And I'm like, that was me. I never want to go back to that. Mm. So after the good looks thing happened, I started looking at health in a general of fuel my life. That's what I want health to do. And now it's a totally different type of feeling and it's a value that's more important to me than it's ever been before which allows me to do the terrible workout thing that I got to do to get there. It allows me to be more excited to do the uncomfortable parts so that when I get up on the other side, I receive the benefits because I know I can receive them. Um, and that goes with the mental and emotional part, right? It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. I, if you would have told me I had to go through this way back then, I would have not done it. Mentally, I was not strong enough to do it. Like That's what I would have thought. I don't want to go into that very dark place. I don't want to go into that sad place. I don't feel those emotions. Now that I've done it at least once, 
or once I did it once, I should say, I realized the benefits. And I realized that for me to get what I truly value out of life, I need to go through that process. And so my desires and my actions started to align a lot better because I was able to create that connection between that value and my authentic wants out of life as me as a person and not what I was conditioned to, to desire. When, um, when you were talking about that, I, I had two thoughts that come through my mind. One's uh, another tangent, so I'll save that for a moment. Uh, but I'm wondering about your customers, your clients, particularly the ones that you coach, not necessarily the ones who just come in to use the facility, but who, who you're working with directly. I imagine you run into the same kind of issues with them that you ran into with yourself. How do you handle that with them? Yeah. So one of our first questions that we ask before they come in is their why. And we say, look, you want to lose 20 pounds. Cool. Why? Because 20 pounds is just a random nutter. It's a data. It's maybe it's what you used to be when you first graduated college and now you've had kids and, um, you know, the responsibilities have kicked up and you just put your health on the back end. So why do you want to lose 20 pounds? What does it give you? What does doing this journey help you out with? And that some people will be more willing to talk about the real stuff and some people won't, you know, um, they can't keep up with their kids at home. They get home from work and they're exhausted. The kids are boundless of energy. I know how I was. So if they're spreading around you get home after work and you don't have the energy, you just watch your kids do stuff and you're not able to even be engaged with them. So sometimes it's just really surface level. And then hopefully I can talk to them and get them to go deeper um, we'll continue with that parent one. So like say someone comes in and they talk about low energy levels. Well, how's that affect your family life? How's it affect you with your kids? If they got kids, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're just, they're so wild. They're really hard to keep up with. And say, like, okay, well, what do you miss out on because of this tiredness? What do you do at night? Do you come home? Do you hang out with them? Do you go play ball? It's like, ah, I'm just so tired. I sit on the couch and we watch TV together. For me, watching TV together is like the lowest form of connection where you're both drawn on a screen, not paying attention to each other. So what you're losing out on in reality is memories, meaningful memories with your kid. And it's not just you, you're technically stealing those from them. They get to enjoy you less because of your choices health wise. So it's like now we're getting really deep with this and we're making a connection that's a lot more emotional in a sense so that when they want to make a decision to be healthier the drive is a lot higher but at first it's like we have to do those layers and dig down deep and ask so some people will uh will allow me to go that deep with them not everybody but if i can really work with them there or at least plant the seed for them to start thinking about it they're more likely to take the journey and run with it and continue the actions even when it's tough then if they didn't have the whys and plan that are talked about, they probably will just go through a two month program and then fall off because there's no real drive behind it. It's just that surface level initial motivation that we all get when we think about change. And then that goes away real fast as soon as things get hard. I love this. I love this on a number of different levels, not the least of which I'm thinking about how there are people in my generation who absolutely love to tear down your generation, the millennials, you and Jody Lynn, uh, saying, well, that, that generation, all they do is they, they, they spend all their time behind screens. They don't actually interact with anybody. And here you are, you're advocating exactly the opposite. I'm thinking, yes, listen to this guy. Listen to Jody. Lynn. There, there, there is the other side to the millennials. Pay attention. <laughs> I love that is uh, I, yeah, that's a true one. Um, I do think a lot of people are beginning to go, I don't want to be on the screens as much. Mm -hmm. And I was probably about two weeks ago going over this, um, this, this informational about psychiatrists was talking about screens and how, why we're so addicted to them. And he said, if you think about it's not necessarily addiction, it's more of a compulsive behavior. So we understand we're not needing to be on these things and it's not really good for us, but we've done it for so many times. And if you take someone and take their phone and put it in the other room, you'll see how much they don't think about it. Like it goes down so low that they barely even realize it's in the other room. 
you put it in front of them on a table and they're constantly picking it up. So he said it's more of a compulsive rather than addictive, but it can be considered both. And because we know we hate it, we almost bring a negative emotion around it, right? Which makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. So if someone feels guilty for it and they hit a low with that feeling, what do they want? A pick-me-up. What picks them up? They pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's an idea that sometimes there's like a negative cycle between that that feeling of um, having a negative connection to that actually can make it worse sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I, I also, the, the tangent I wanted to go on a moment ago, I'm going to bring that one in because I think it's kind of funny. Um, a year ago, maybe a year and a quarter ago, I had never heard of pickleball before. Never, not even <laughs> once. Since yeah. then, my God, it's in almost every conversation that I have. And here you are mentioning it again. <laughs> what did I, like, was I like asleep for the last 10 years or something? What, what on earth is going on here? That, that, that thing is, that game has just taken the, the, the country by storm. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, what, do, you know where that, do you know what the origins were of that? I don't even know what the origins are. I don't know what the origins was. I know it gave people the ability who aren't athletic yet to pick up something that was athletic and have fun without needing to be around 14 different people. You know, you okay. pick up one person, you go out there, you hit the ball back and forth. You can play a game and be decent in three to four weeks. So it gives you like that confidence. Oh, I'm getting better. I see results. I see changes fast. So you can get relatively from beginner to intermediate really fast, which I think is part of the reason. Because when you aren't great at something, it's really hard to stick with it for a year to become semi-good. With this, you do it in four, eight weeks. You're, you're, you're able to hit the ball back and forth. You're able to play games. And then health-wise, it's like one of the greatest things to do where you don't think about the physical activity. You're just playing. Like your kids, you know, kids are – physically active all the time. They're playing. They're not like, how do I become physically active? They're just <laughs> fast. And I feel like this is a great thing that people as adults have picked up. They're rekindling like that childhood activity where it's just fun and we're out there doing it and we're not even thinking about it. But I'm being healthy at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe I got to go get myself a, a paddle and, and learn the thing. I mean, because everybody's playing it now. It's just amazing how many people are playing it. Just <laughs> incredible. I mean, I, I, can't, I, I was not exaggerating. It sounded like I was exaggerating a moment ago when I said it's, it's in, in almost every conversation. Almost every conversation I have, not here on the podcast, but locally, you know, with people that I meet out in public, God, it's, it's, I would have to say at least 60 to 70% of the conversations touch on pickleball at some point. And I, I'm just like, what? I'm just blown away. <laughs> Where did this thing come from? And why isn't it all over the social media? That's the other thing. Normally, yeah. you know, when something becomes big, it goes big on social media. I've never seen it on social media. That's I because you are playing pickleball and not on social media. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it almost makes me think like there's a new trend happening. Don't post it. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually in the moment. That's so funny. I had never heard of pickleball either. And then just a few months ago, people started mentioning it. I still don't know what it is. Like, okay, (laughs) great pickleball. I should probably look this up. Sounds fun. Uh, It's not. Yeah. Well, from from what I understand, it's it's like what you said, David. It's very easy to learn. It's very easy to gain skill in it quickly. It's not something where you have to to learn a, a, a tennis shot or something like that. Yeah. Form is, form isn't huge. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think about golf, for example, that was one of the things that, um, as I got older, more people started playing and I did a couple of lessons and played. That's a very frustrating game. Oh, very. It's very frustrating. It should probably be renamed frustration because that's actually (laughs) what the game is. (laughs) Yes. And you have to play often and over and over. And I, I just, I do believe that the ease of pickleball has allowed us to get in and just be somewhat good. And I can come back in three months and play it and still be decent. As we go off, man, it's going that way, it's going that way. It's not going straight. It was, fun fact, it was, uh, pickleball was created in 1965. Was it really? Yeah, I just looked it up. Wow. My goodness. So it was created 65. So I was eight years old when it was created. And it took me 58 years 
to find out about it. <laughs> hmm, something wrong there. Something's not working well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. We had to find things to do outside. And so it was like people were just searching for anything they could do outside. I know like mm. they created a bunch of games called Spike Ball, um, a lot more like outdoorsy stuff. And so when that became popular, I, I think it just caught traction. We were like, well, I, I've been going outside now. Like, this is a great thing to do. It's one thing I can do. Let's do whatever we can do to, to have some fun. It's a great point. The pandemic actually inspired a lot of creativity. Yeah. Which actually speaks in my mind and has spoken since March 2020 in my mind to just how much health there already naturally is in the population. I mean, we tend to focus on dysfunction. We do it here on the show. I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction that's out there in, in a variety of forms. But how nice to know that there was so much health there that even in the midst of a, of a health breakdown, people were finding ways to express healthiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a big deal. It doesn't get enough credit either. Like you said that, you know, we, we tend to focus on this function because I do think that's a big deal. Like we just, um, I remember one of our, they talked about how we have a, a natural negative inclination to see those things. And it started way back when we were worried about safety by, you know, being out in the wilderness and not knowing what's going to happen that day. We searched for danger all the time because we didn't have the tools. We weren't as safe as we are now. And so we have that inclination to go, well, look for the negative first. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. um, two things happen. He said, if I tell you to look at a red car on the way home, count the red <laughs> cars. And then I get you home and I say, how many blue cars are there? What are you going to look and tell me? I don't know. Because <laughs> you're looking for that. So if we go through our day looking for the negative, which we normally do, we'll find everything so much easier than if I ask you what good thing happened today, people's faces go blank. And by the way, if you follow up and ask the question, how many red cars did you see? The answer will be, well, a lot more than I thought there were. Let me tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a part of what, you know, I know what your show's about is, is really getting people to start seeing and and feeling differently. And that allows you to make better decisions. Um, You know, one of the things that I remember first hearing about manifestation was people talked about just the, the, the like the visuals and the memorization of what to say and how to feel. And it's like, well, there's action that comes with it because that solidifies what you want to happen. So if you're looking at manifestation, it's the thought process plus the action behind it. And that really creates the, the thing you're looking for, but your thought process has to start the process. So your actions can start falling after that. Mm-hmm. Jody Lynn, you never have to explain any of that to your customers, right? Your clients. Never. Never. Never have to remind myself either. (laughs) 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 We were talking earlier about, you know, like 30 days and change your life. And, you know, I think a lot of those programs have um, brainwashed us in society to think that there, there is an end date of like when Mm. you'll be perfect. And in my experience, and I think you guys would probably echo the same, that it's not, that there is no end date, that there's always the next thing to learn, to experience the next part of you that you're opening up and, and experiencing all over again at these different layers and levels of oneself that 30 days is not enough. Mm. Even a hundred days for a pattern or a habit, it's not the end point. There is no end. It's a forever program practice of, of this is how I live. My life is striving for better and better. Yeah. Growth doesn't have an expiration date. No. Yeah. yeah, That's true. You don't lose weight to gain it back. You don't um, change your health to, to, well, a lot of people do. Let's be honest. Let's be perfectly blunt. There are a lot of people who do exactly that. Yes. And, and yeah, exactly. They get to that end date. They're like, Oh, I lost the weight. Now I just go back to my old ways. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> so. Like, well, how did this happen? What I, you know, why did I gain the weight back? It's like, well, you totally went back to your old patterns. 
Mm-hmm. That's what got you there in the first place. You don't, you have to have a history of doing things before you get the outcome. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to the same history we were doing, we'll get the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, 30 programs, six week programs have ultimately shifted and made us think that quick fixes are okay. Also mm-hmm. the fact that we can hop on Amazon. I was looking today to order something. I can have it here by tonight at 5 p.m. if I order by 1 p.m. That's insane. That's <laughs> how fast I can ship something to my house. <laughs> and so my tolerance level for waiting and being patient is just short. Mm-hmm. So short. And we're right. being taught to, to like shorten it all the time and raise that expectation that things just happen instantaneously. Uh, and if they don't, then something's wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That's a great, yep. And of it's very the, challenging. The Amazon driver's getting the workout in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they move through. Yeah, they are. Man, they're in and out. I see them hop out. They sprint into our doors and put stuff down, run back in, especially in this, we're in the cold right now, or what, what yeah. I would consider cold, I should say. Yeah. Got <laughs> 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 to zero, which was cold enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, uh, you look at all our world, everything's fast now. Mm-hmm. How quick can I get it? How easy can I get it? Mm-hmm. And that makes the difficult things that we have to do as humans much, much more challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think we- we're missing out on things too because of that that quick expectation. Like it's great to eat a cheeseburger in that moment when you're eating it. You're like, oh, so good. And then it's, it's gone. It's like a, not a long-term satisfaction. Like you're, mm. you know, not really satisfied. That has become the culmination of our lives in this moment or our society is that we get it fast and it's quick, you know, dopamine hit. And then we're on to the next. We don't savor yeah. or appreciate, really appreciate the things that we have. Yeah. That's a really, so understanding like what, dopamine and serotonin and all that stuff does for us and how we like to stay in that zone as much as possible. Um, and then also we like, like, like food, for example, back in the seventies ish, they had a mixture where people started realizing what people want. Like how do we sell more products? And it was, well, naturally humans like carbs and fats for energy. Like it's a natural thing because we didn't have food way back then. And we just didn't, it was not normal to walk up. So when we had things with those in it, Eat as much as we can. And so our taste buds are designed to feel good and light up our brains when we get those things. Like a cheeseburger, for example, is fats and carbs, buns, cheese, meat. Think about ice cream, fats and carbs. Most things that people crave, chips, fats and carbs, and fried in oil. So there's a literally a physiological point where our body is like, yes, give me that because I'm getting two energy sources. Then you got the dopamine hit on it. It happens right before you eat it. And that lights your world up. So your brain is so stimulated at that moment mm-hmm. that it feels that way. And our mind says this is good, even though it may not be that great, but for that second. And then we're stimulated every day with everything. We're on screens, phones. We're constantly doing something. Mm-hmm. So our I always think about like if our normal level as a human is a three over zero, and we're constantly pushing a 10 with all the things we're eating and visualizing with our screens and everything we do with alcohol even gets our dopamine up. So we're putting ourselves at a 10 all the time. When we come back to that three, it feels crappy. We feel like low and just not so good. And we're going, well, why do I feel this way? Well, I need to get back up to that 10. Mm-hmm. And in reality, three's great. We just shove so we put ourselves at 10 so much. It doesn't feel good anymore. And so that whole thing of like that short-term hit is just a whole line of what we've been doing all day long, except for it's more of an extreme hit. And so we can finally feel that goodness, that excitement we're looking for that we're not getting as much of when we sit down and have healthy foods or even just going for a walk in nature. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody that goes for a walk in nature without headphones on anymore. It's (laughs) green headphones, no one... Myself included, I had to really break that habit and just sit outside for 10 minutes and walk with nothing on and just look at nature. It was really challenging at first. Mm -hmm. I'm used to grabbing my phone. I'm used to having something in my ears. I'm used to seeing things that are moving fast. But walking in nature, 
but we can also utilize that as a way to ground ourselves, bring our stimulant, you know, stimulated mind back down to its normal levels. So that to me, based on what you just said, if I have a cheeseburger once a week, that cheeseburger, the highlight is much higher than if I have something like chips and ice cream every day. Now the exciting part that I don't get all the time. So the joy is actually higher compared to if I had it every day and it becomes normal. It's almost like I have to eat this to even feel normal. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, Oh, on Saturday, we're going to go have some pizza. Cool. I've eaten really healthy and clean all week. I eat that. I get my highlight. It feels better than before. I have been, you know, not having this stuff. Um, same thing with anything. I feel like if we're more toned down with any stimulus, when we actually experience life in general, whether we have, you know, those lows, which we need in life to understand what highs are, then the highs are that much better. But if we're constantly high, we don't have anywhere else to go. And then that becomes that normal, like, I don't want to say boring feeling, but it, it's like we're bored. Mm-hmm. We've never, we've overcomplicated our lives so much that simple living, which is the best for us, is boring and not exciting. And so we don't get to enjoy the normal day-to-day things. Um, one of the things I remember this person saying was, I think Jordan Peterson, he said, 90% of your life is what happens when you come home to your spouse and kids. Those interactions. Your vacations are probably less than 5%. Your mm-hmm. excitements with you know going out to eat, another maybe 5 So if 90% are the normal things you do every day, you've got to learn to love the simple parts of it. Or else your life is always going to be a roller coaster of lows with highs, but the lows get worse and worse and the highs get harder and harder to hit. I love that perspective. In fact, when you were saying that, it reminded me of my childhood because I recall very vividly. Now I grew up in, in the early 60s and early to mid 60s. And so it was a very much father goes to work, mother stays home, takes care of the house kind of an environment. And when dad came home at the end of the day, it was an event. It was a major event. My brother, my sister, and me, I mean, as soon as that door opened, we were flying over there to get that dopamine high. That's what that was. We didn't know what that was. It was like, daddy's home. That's all we knew, you know, but, but that's what that was. And it was a big deal and it happened every day. It was only one moment out of the day, but it was a highlight. It was a really big highlight. That's what I was thinking about when you said that. Yeah. Those, and think about those, and that's, you know, goes back to that memories. Like we're making meaningful memories, basically, and not just shoving it with stuff that doesn't mean anything. Mm. If I look back at my life, I'm not going to be like, man, February 2024, I had that cheeseburger, and it was so amazing. That's going to be what I think about right before I die. I'm thinking about all the meaningful moments I had with people I loved or adventures I went on. That's where the things are going to pop up the most for me. So I want to utilize that as a way to direct my life. Is this social media that I'm looking at going to make me think I'm so happy I'm looking at it on my deathbed? Probably not. No. It's just sitting here zoning out because I'm too tired watching TV while my kids play with their iPad or whatever going to make me feel good. Probably not. So I need to make sure that I'm directing my life in a way that I have as many wonderful memories as I possibly can. And I can show up the way I want to look at it and be like, man, those are just amazing. I I'm ready to go. I've done everything I could. I've literally lived my life the way I wanted to. I've gotten everything out of it. I've had the most meaningful time I've ever had. And um, mm-hmm. I actually feel good about it. And that's, so that's one of the things I think about. Like, how do I create more moments? Like you just said with your dad, um, my brain's going, okay, I, that's an amazing thing. I want, I want that. I want that really bad. Mm-hmm. So I need to be prepared to actually be, you know, energetic to handle it health wise. And I need to be able to get away from my behaviors that would detract from that. Mm-hmm. And it's now equal opportunity because mom can come home. It used to be mom was always home. So she didn't get that, that dopamine hit play. She didn't get to be part of that. Now she can because she can come home and get yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a big deal too. 
as usual, we've, we've absolutely raced through an hour. And, uh, so we need to find a way to kind of bring the whole thing to a close, but we need to do a couple things first. First, um, normally we would promote your product or service, but I mean, you run a gym in KC. It's not something that everybody around the country can go sign up for. So that doesn't really yeah. fit the mode. But like you told us before you, you came onto the show, you were here basically to uh, develop your own ability to communicate, which by the way, you passed with flying colors. So well done. Um, and also to just explore things, to explore, you know, concepts of mindset and, and, you know, the, the ideas around exercise and lethargy and all that kind of thing, which is exactly what we did. Um, and we did it, you, you did a brilliant job on that as well. Um, so I, I think I want to go directly to what I normally make as my second point. Well, I'm going to go to point one a first, which is, do you like to receive contact from people who want to carry on the conversation? And if so, how do they reach you? Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, I love deep, these deep conversations. I have a four pillar system and one of my pillars is deep conversations beyond the, you know, Hey, how are you doing? What's the weather like type things? So this is, this excites me. Mm. So I love doing this. Um, you can do, you can look up at Instagram. It's coach David Oquindo. That's a simple way to get with me. David Oquindo on Facebook will pull me up those two things. Um, and then David Oquindo KC for Kansas city at gmail.com also is a great way to, to reach out to me. If you wanted to have any conversations, I do do the mental emotional coaching, but I just don't do it on a large scale because I've got like a main thing. So I take on one to two people a month. So if someone very interested in that part of it, um, they totally could reach out. I've had a spot open. Cool. But I also just don't promote it a lot because they just don't have that much spots to, you know, have five or six people run to the door. Okay. That's cool. By the way, just a side note, I got to ask, are, are you in Casey, Missouri or Casey, Kansas? I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> You're in Missouri. It's funny, okay. You got the battle of the borders, like Casey, right. Kansas. We don't go over to Missouri. <laughs> Casey, Missouri. We don't go over to Kansas. We just, you can see a shift. They're like, you live where? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's living on the other side of the tracks in, in Kansas yeah. City, living on the other side of the state border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, one other thing that I want to pass along to you, which is something that I point, like to pass along to all of our guests. Um, I noticed this about it's going on about two years. It'll be two years in April, I think, that I first noticed. We have a tendency to skip over people who give back in not in every way, but in certain ways. Typically, where they're giving back in something that doesn't cost anything. It's free. You know, you came onto our podcast. You're giving your time here. Um, if, if, on those times when you are engaging in social media, you're giving stuff away there too. I'm sure you're, you're, you're sharing these kinds of wisdoms there as well. And we don't tend to get credit for when we're helping people in those ways because we are helping people often in ways we don't even know about. So I like to point out by saying on behalf of those people you've never met and you've never seen, thank you for what you've been putting out there and doing because you're making a difference in their lives. And thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's very important. And then I always finish up by going to Jody Lynn Lask and, and, and cause she's really good at this and just asking her, okay, tie this all <laughs> together, put a bow on top. How do you actually summarize this so that we can say, yeah, now we know what the takeaway is today. Hmm. I have to take a breath for this one. I feel like we went all over the world today from thing to thing to thing, but really what resonates in my mind is something that David said um, that I wrote down. I use my health to create anything I want in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think what really brings it all into perspective is presence being in your present body and being present within what's going on and present with your emotional state and your mental state and understanding where you are and having that appreciation for where you are right now. That's creating the memories that we're going to remember on our, our last day of earth or before we close our eyes again um, and making sure that it's the best that it can be. So thank you for that reminder, David. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'm reminded of a very, very old TV host who used to finish the show by saying, thanks for the memories. And that's a very <laughs> old There you go. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing what you've learned, in the last, particularly in the last three to seven years. That's, that's cool stuff. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're, you are really are making a difference. And we need more of that. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah.
And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. (music) 